0: I moved to Madrid 18 months ago. Casillas. Casilla, Messi. Since then, I've mostly learned how to speak Spanish by talking football. Xavi Alonso. Claro. Iniesta. Pedro. At first, the chats used to center around Jose Mourinho. And Lino Messi, or Xavi Hernandez and Iker Casillas. And Spain will be placed in Group C. Now, with Ireland in Spain's group in this summer's Euro finals. As soon as people hear I'm Irish, they want to know how Robbie Keane is getting on at LA Galaxy, or if Giovanni Trapattoni has really made Keith Andrews and Glen Whelan play like Italians. Football is a super way to learn more about a place, its culture and its people, and also to explore the links between the country where I was born and the one where I now live. Before the move, I knew John Aldridge had played for Real Sociedad Los en son poco en and Kevin Moran for Sporting Gijón. But I've now learned that Dubliner, Patrick O'Connell, was Barcelona manager during the Spanish Civil War. De, de Inglaterra, con un 4-4-2. And that Spain's version of Eamon Dunphy is ex-Ireland striker Michael Robinson. I've also discovered that while the Spaniards, known as La Furia Roja, might currently have the best team in the world, we've given them a game plenty of times over the years. Drawing 1-1 in Barcelona in 1931, and beating them 1-0 in Madrid in 1946. More recently, they've had the upper hand. Especially when knocking Mick McCarthy's side out of the 2002 World Cup. But still, though, our history should give us hope. Especially the three meetings in six months during qualification for the 1966 World Cup Finals. Spain were then, as now, reigning European champions. But Ireland matched them blow for blow over the three games and might have come out on top if not for one of the meanest and most damaging decisions in Irish sporting history. It's 1965. Ireland have never been to a major football tournament, not even close. But we've just entered the Eurovision for the first time and not done too badly. Now, next year's football finals are being held in England where most of the team play and many of the fans live or work. It'd be great, really great, to qualify. Knows I am crying I'm walking the, the, rain. the draw has been kind too. After a pull pullout, qualification comes down to just one two legged playoff. Wembley is within sight. In the way, however, stands Spain. A fearsome side featuring superstars like Jesus Pareda of Barcelona, Luis Suarez of Internazionale, and five-time European Cup winner Paco Gento, of Real Madrid We have our own big names in John Giles of Leeds United and Johnny Giles outshining even the £200,000 valued Suarez. Charlie Hurley of Sunderland and Shay Brennan, Pat Dunn, and Tony Dunn from that year's English champions Manchester United. So there is much excitement and no little expectation among the capacity crowd jammed into Dalymount Park as the teams take the field for the first leg. And it's Frank O'Neill taking it. The game is one which would have Trapattoni nodding in appreciation. Spain dominate possession for long spells, but Ireland keep their shape and defend well. Then, just after the hour mark. A good one, they're in after it. It's a goal! It's a goal! Elibus! Elibus for throws on goal! Look at him! Look at him in anguish! Oh, look at this Spanish keeper! In anguish! Ireland lead a goal to nil Irribar's anguish is complete when some valiant defending sees the home side hold on for the victory the Spanish team are unhappy with the strong tackling and weak refereeing and refuse to swap jerseys on the final whistle the Irish are delighted though knowing that even a draw in Spain will be enough for them to qualify for their first World Cup the only cloud is a lingering feeling that this is only Ireland that will never make it the 60s may be swinging elsewhere, but the FAI remained stuck in the Stone Age. So preparations were basic as they flew out, second class, from Dublin to Sevilla for the second leg. A capacity crowd of noisy Andalusians have packed into the Estadio Sanchez Pizjuan, and the controversies soon start. After only five minutes, Ireland's Mick McGrath scores, but Portuguese referee Deseo Freitas sees a foul no one else does. Even he can do nothing 20 minutes later, however, when Giles crosses for Andy McAvoy to head Ireland into a deserved lead. There is shock in the stands, and this is shared by the Irish players, who cannot really believe that this is happening. They're so close to actually qualifying. They freeze, allowing Spain to come back into the game. With the partisan crowd roaring them on, the home players score two quick goals just before halftime, and the game finishes 4-1 in their favour. This time, it was the Irish who have cause to complain. Although well beaten in the end, the players know it could have been a very different story if they'd been allowed to go 2-0 up. Furthermore, although they do not know it, the intrigue is not yet over. Senor Freitas was not the only official making dodgy decisions that night in Sevilla. Nowadays, the result is decided by aggregate scores. But back in the 60s, teams had to meet a third time in a neutral country to decide which progressed. So, after the game, Administrators from both associations sit down in a nearby hotel to agree a venue. Ireland want Liverpool or London. The Spanish suggest Lisbon. After negotiations drag on until 3am, Paris is announced as a compromise. The real story is not so simple. The FAI's negotiating team only agreed to the French capital after the Spanish offered them both countries' share of the gate receipts. This comes to about £25,000. Three times the FAI's annual income at the time, but much less than would flow in were the team actually to win the playoff and make the finals. Do the FAI think we can make the finals? Whether they do or not, they take the cash and keep stone. The players do not know it, but their chances of qualifying for a World Cup have been sold down to Villa's River Guadalquivir. Still- When the Irish team emerged from the tunnel at the Parc de Prance. the following month, they're taken aback by a sea of red and gold, flags and banners, waved by members of Paris's sizable Spanish community. Given the cost of travelling to Paris, if you're a typical Irish soccer fan in 1965, tricolours are predictably scarce. A neutral venue, this is not. Now Dunphy is taking it. Dunphy throws it back to Johnny Giles. Johnny Giles, on to Dunphy again. Despite the one-sided atmosphere, the game is more even than the FAI had expected. With time running out, the two sides begin to grow nervous with such a huge prize within reach. do whips past Suarez. The young pupil beating the master. Now Shea Blannon has the ball for Ireland back to Noel Cantwell. Everyone knows now that a stroke of genius, a mistake or just a piece of bad luck could end their chances of qualification. 35 gone in the second half, 10 minutes to go and there is no score in the game. Spain come back though, parade on the ball. Pareda outside the Irish penalty area on the right Pareda crosses low comes from your 40 shoot and your 40 has scored There is little time left to mount a comeback and Spain hold on for the win Spain went on to play against West Germany Argentina and Switzerland in the finals Irish players and fans watched the games in their tellies or listened on the radios. Some of the Irish players are not too unhappy, feeling that although they have not qualified, they have at least competed on an equal footing with one of Europe's top sides. Others, especially Giles, are bitterly disappointed. Their chance of wearing the green jersey on the world stage against the likes of Pele, Eusebio, Franz Beckenbauer or Lev Yashin disappeared, most likely forever. As Kenneth Wolstenholme spoke his immortal words, many Irish players and fans wondered what might have been. For many, that night in Paris fixed forever the idea of Irish as gallant losers and moral victors. The best players soon grew fed up with the FAI's amateurism, and decline set in. It took another 22 years before Jack Charlton's boys in green finally qualified for a major championship. They're there again this summer, though, and Trapp's men face Spain, in Gdansk, on Thursday. With some luck, and a level playing field, an Irish side may again frighten their more illustrious Spanish opponents. It will surely fuel plenty more chats back in Madrid. Me está preguntando, ¿Quién va ganar, España o Irlanda? Con el corazón en la mano. My Spanish is coming on too so maybe I'll bring up the story of Giles and Dunphy Irribar and Ufarte and those three games in six months in 1965